We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online, the fastest, easiest, and safest way to bet on all things sports. With March Madness, the Masters, and Major League Opening Day right around the corner, BetOnline has all the latest news, scores, and odds to help you win big. The best part? You'll receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Head over to BetOnline.ag and use our promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your literal free money. Plus, signing up is a great way to support the podcast you're listening to in your ears right now. Again, that's promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, when you sign up at betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Alright, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to the Wombo Combo Podcast. I am not Breaky CPK, I am in fact Tsunami. Hopefully some of you are at least marginally familiar with who I am. But I was graciously graciously asked to guest host this week's episode, and I was more than happy to be given the opportunity. And it's not all different. You will have your boy BSJ to co-host with me, Brian. Since I am the host, I'd like to first thank me for having me, but also I appreciate you letting me fill in for Bricky this week. Hey, man, there's nothing wrong with... Uh... You know, appreciating yourself, you know. Uh, yeah, man, I appreciate you showing up. Uh, it's funny, people, uh, we were talking about what our subjects for the for the week were going to be. And uh, when I when I every time I think of people in the Dota scene, I kind of think of like the conversations that I've had with them uh, or like the interactions in general that I've had with them. And the ones with you have, have kind of been like. Obviously, in person, uh, because we've casted events together like TI this year. Yeah. Um, and it was just a lot about you're one of the people in the Dota scene that really has a life outside of Dota, like uh, in like a full on career and everything. And I just always, I always enjoyed talking to people 
such as yourself about how Dota ties into just life in general. And so when they were talking about like what subject I want to talk about, yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about um, the tournaments that just went on and everything current. Um, but I thought this would be a great episode just to kind of do maybe your job for you kind of, but, you know, just to talk about why we came to this conclusion. Um, just talking about how Dota ties into real life and uh, like a game that we love so much, uh, the effect that it may have on us and in good or bad ways. So uh, I just look forward to talking to you about it because I, I we've had overall good talks. I, I like I like being I like talking to people in the Dota scene that I feel like get the struggles that I face every day, but also get the, like the beauty of it as well. Yeah. Well, I definitely know what you mean because I, I talk to a lot of players and they're very far removed from the real world. It seems. Yes. And even much of the other talent, like you and I are probably amongst a very short list of talent or people who are full-time in the esports industry. Well, not esports industry, but at least the Dota esports industry who actually even have like STEM degrees uh, yeah. you biomedical engineering and me microbiology um i know like previously uh hotbed had a law degree and i think uh, ld had some sort of computer science degree but it's becoming less and less common that people have traditional academic backgrounds that for better or for worse either led into a career like me or for you i i think that you made the right call to kind of have it as a safety net, but you never really did anything with a degree, did you? Yeah, not really. Uh, people ask me about that a lot. You know, they're like, do you, do you feel like you wasted your time with your degree and everything? And and my answer is usually no. Uh, I think as an engineer, you kind of learn not necessarily just about all the equations and how to solve stuff, but it's also about like how to think about just solving a problem in general. And I think for Dota one of the things i love about dota the most is that there's so many things that i've realized can be applied from like my engineering degree to dota and vice versa in regards to like the way i approach dota to life um and i think that a lot of people you know whenever i'm on my stream there's always the people in chat who are like memeing you know bsj trying to be philosophical about life and dota or whatever <laughs> and it's like we're obviously not going to go like some you know, 5D chess on everybody in chat, but it's like, there's just a lot of things about Dota where, you know, the struggles you have, like even the interpersonal relationships. And I think the major thing I can, you can always tell when somebody's not a well-rounded human being in real life too, but like you can tell in Dota when you're interacting with them in the middle of a game, you know, like it, yeah. it's not something that goes unseen to the average player in a game like people would be like god does that guy have any semblance of understanding of how he's supposed to talk to human beings or you know anything like that um and i think one of the most important things that i'm really happy about having had my major and everything was that i got to see my other option and i it's almost like i chose dota and what i do now over it because of all the reasons I love Dota and what I love doing now. And the funny thing about like casting and everything, when it comes to like esports, and a lot of people that always ask about how to get into esports, there's really no, you know, script no. for how things are gonna play out. And something I wanted to kind of talk to you about was like, you know, you're somebody who I think has been kind of 
on the debating side of, you know, do I commit full time to esports because I have this full separate career going on? And esports is a lot of kind of just playing it by ear, you know, what opportunities come into your way, you know, kind of what work you're putting in that's giving yourself an opportunity to even get noticed. Um, so I kind of want to ask you, you know, where you're at with with deciding on esports compared to a normal career and like what goes into that for you. Yeah, I for the longest time, I thought that I was kind of romanticizing the concept of esports because obviously I've been playing video games since I was very young and the whole concept of being paid to talk about video games or play video games. It was like fantasy for the most part, like 20 or so years ago. And as it became a bigger and bigger reality, I was just like, I, I still don't know if this is like too good to be true. And I, one of the things that has frustrated me the most about trying to pursue it is like you said, it's all, uh, there is no script. Whereas for people with, academic backgrounds it's like very systematic like you go to school you get your degree if you get good grades and you're going to get this job and if you get this job then you'll get paid this much and it's all very deterministic whereas in an entertainment industry like esports it's all random like you may just meet the right person at the right time and that gives you an opportunity to go to a tournament or maybe someone just watched your stream this one time and they decided that you're someone that they don't want to work with and that is something that still kind of frustrates me about esports and is part of the reason why I am on the precipice, like you said, on deciding whether it's worth my full-time attention or not. Because it's incredibly intimidating to know that, you know, I like at the towards the end of your uh pre-game podcast stream, I was listening and you were saying <laughs> how you were kind of comparing yourself to Mason a little bit, and you can see the I guess you can kind of project the numbers a little bit based off of trending and how, how, like, what time you start and stuff like that. And that stuff intimidates me because I was like, man, I, I have no education in that kind of background of looking at, you know, streaming analytics and how that potentially affects my income and stuff like that. But at the same time, I don't think I would do streaming. I I don't envy what you do. I'm very impressed by what you do because I cannot do it. Like I don't blame you for not envying it. <laughs> you have a you have like a you have a consistent schedule. I'm pretty sure you have a relatively consistent schedule, right? Yeah, I mean, so this is stuff I've kind of sporadically talked about on my stream that mm-hmm. I thought would be kind of cool for anyone who's never been there for me to talk about it randomly. Cause it's not something that I've had a full on conversation about. It's kind of just nitpicking here and there when right. somebody asks a question. I'm very um, curious. So please well, give me the education. Yeah, as, a, as like a esports person, there's, there's a couple of bonuses that also kind of come back to haunt you sometimes. And I think one of the biggest ones is it, this applies for players too. And this is something why I, 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 you know, and when I look at a tournament, like we saw this weekend with a bunch of players that are not team, like you have team seeker, you have team Nigma. But then you have like the Dendi stack, you know, in aggressive mode. Uh, you have these stacks that um, a lot of these players, they're kind of like debatably able, obviously not Dendi, but they're debatably able to make money um, from doing something like this. And the problem with Dota is a lot of these teams have been getting burned out over the last year, year, uh, like year to two years. Like a lot of teams have finally started saying, hey, like we can't just play Dota at the highest level all year long. And as a streamer, you can work as many hours as you want, which is awesome. 
but you can work as many hours as you want. <laughs> so yeah. at what point is the threshold where you're like, okay, I'm putting in enough time and work and effort to get the notice that I should be getting, but I'm not taking care of myself. And I think there's a lot of popular streamers. Um, I guess my chat was kind of briefly mentioning me about even Gork, who was on that uh, psychologist stream on Twitch. Yeah, that Dr. He was talking K about thing. how, yeah, and he was talking about the toll that, that uh, Dota has taken on him, like psychologically and being a streamer and all that. And it's like, there's a lot of times where you know you could put in more work or you know you could do something that makes you a more entertainer, more entertaining streamer. But it's also like not necessarily good for you or, you know, like at what point? Because like for me, the struggle I started having was say I make $100 from a stream. You know, uh, I, I do a, a full on stream and I make $100. It's like you may say BSJ, you know, you get to make your own hours. Yay. But imagine being like, OK. I could go out with friends tonight, but whatever I'm doing with friends, I kind of start to think that costs me $100 because I could just be working, you know? And so it really, I know a lot of streamers go through this where they're like, I could, I could be streaming tonight. And that's and just like relaxing time also, because I know like whenever I see Rich at events, like that dude gets the shakes that he's like losing subs when he's at events doing other it's so stuff hard, in his career. Dude. It's so hard, man, because, like, you see these numbers because you were talking about how I was, like, comparing myself to Mason and then uh, talking about how that affects viewership numbers. You, you at, at most jobs, so here's another example of, like, the whole you can work all the hours, how it's a plus and minus thing. It's like at most jobs, you know, you just – you don't necessarily have a clear-cut rhetoric of, like, how good of a job you're doing. Yeah, sometimes you have, like, results and, like, how many sales you got or whatever. But, like, and for the most part, there's no clear-cut – exact numbers to how you're doing and in dota as a streamer like you say i leave for an event and i had 500 subs and i come back and i have 300 that is like it's actually kind of demoralizing you know, <laughs> you know it's like wow i put all that you know i streamed three straight weeks in order to get up to 500 subs and and now i just lost all the hard work that i got a lot about streaming is consistency and in the minute you take a week off even if you're doing something that the people would watching your stream might watch you know like uh it's not like you're just going on a hiatus off the face of the planet or anything and that that's you still lose sub count you still lose average viewers like the minute you come back you have less viewers um than when you left for the event in the first place and that kind of stuff it it is so hard to remain like content with yourself you yeah. know and uh as a player it's the same thing it's like we could be scrimming you know to four best of threes a day, you know, yeah. six days a week, we could be doing this. Um, but at what point, you know, if, if it's kind of like, if you're just not eating healthy or like taking care of yourself in general, you just, you slowly, but surely slip away. And I, the, one of the biggest things I said just in my pre podcast stream today that I love comparing about Dota to my job in real life and everything is in a Dota game, it's really important to know how strong you are. It's like, you know, how how am I able to fight? Am I able to take an objective? Like, where am I at? Like, a, a, in the stage of the Dota game. And it's like, when you're in your career as an esports person, like, people say, where am I going to be in five years? It's like, that's like asking me at the beginning of the game, what items and what K to D I'm going to have at 40 minutes into the game. It's like, I don't know. But at all stages of the game, I'm trying to make sure I'm as, like, aware as possible of what the situation i'm in in this game you know do i have a good lane matchup whatever and it's like 
am I gaining viewership? Am I losing it? Is it something I can control? Is it just like going to events that's going to naturally happen? Is like in this example, when we talked about Mason, it's like other streamers coming into the picture. Um, you know, like two years ago, I had like three times as many subs as I do now. Um, but like Monkeys Forever, Mason, Grant wasn't really like a major streamer at the time. Like people knew who he was, but he was like not nearly doing as often his uh, like pub casting and everything. And the, all these people that are NA streamers just came out of nowhere. And it's like, those are, that is my audience, right? So the minute people start taking those subs and viewers, it's like, what do I expect, right? Like, does that mean I'm doing a worse job or does that just mean that there's more competition? And obviously more competition means more spread of the viewership and the numbers. So it's just very interesting. Um, the goal, whenever I see a problem, is just to just recognize the why. And as a streamer, it's really important to ask yourself that at all times because for whatever reason, the minute you ask yourself something like that or you forget to ask yourself something like that, you just look at the, if you just look at the numbers, man, is it a psycho psychological roller coaster? I cannot right? even imagine. Yeah, you were talking about Rich like at events, yeah. and he's just like you know you can see the anxiety, exactly. you know when he when he when he's experiencing. It's like all of us do it. It's it's not something that ever goes away. It's it's a matter of managing it um, and being on top of it as, as best we can. So um, I, I it's. By no means do I say like, what was me? I'm a streamer, you know, sucks to be a streamer. It's like, I obviously chose the career for a reason. Um, but like you said, it is kind of fantasized that uh, we're just talking about video games for a living, you know, like people technically pay me to stream a video game, you know, yeah. talk about uh, what I think about the game. They're just watching the game from my perspective. And that's like a crazy concept, but like whatever somebody outside of Dota asks, I'm just like, yeah, imagine if you could watch a basketball game through LeBron James's eyes. You know, it's not like I'm saying I'm LeBron James, but it's like, imagine if you could just watch the game through the perspective of one of the players. Like, how crazy would that be? Um, and that's like the unique aspect we have. But at the same time, imagine if you're LeBron James in the middle of a basketball game and you mess up and in your ear you hear Omega Lol, XD, Airball. You know, it's like, <laughs> imagine what kind of toll that would take on you, right? Like, um, obviously, celebrities deal with that kind of stuff. But as a streamer, it is like, it is the hardest part it is to be like, not lose confidence in yourself when you see people make fun of you for playing poorly and stuff. Because that's just human nature, right? Like, people are going to you know, make fun of or whatever the person that's you arguably made half your career off getting made fun of in the, this is the true. original days. You haven't had to experience that nearly as much as no, I have. Very much. My, my, uh, I don't even know how thin my skin is because even in my like YouTube content creation days or writing days, I, I was lucky enough that the only people who paid attention to me were the people who liked me and people who didn't yeah. like me would just ignore me, which is one of the things I kind of sucked about casting initially is because even if you don't like my casting, you still have to listen to me and you will make sure everyone knows that you don't like me in chat, which was a very uncomfortable experience at first. I was just like, what? I'm not used to people on the what internet. What did I do wrong? Like yeah, I, I thought everybody likes me. What's going on here? And that is not the case. And viewers will make that very obvious. And that is one of the dark sides of being an internet personality, I suppose, that is not very talked about because it's just kind of 
accepted no one ever really talks about like hey man like anytime there's a post on like reddit talking about like whoa why is everyone getting so mad at kuro all of a sudden you know nigma isn't doing that great but he got like second place at ti you know he's a ti champion what's the big deal and most of the top comments are just like dude this is just sports this is what people do in sports you know and i agree also like i i i think it's fun but boy does it suck being on the receiving end of that Oh, absolutely. I mean, even somebody in chat right now is saying, um, you were at your peak after TI8 talking about me, and so <laughs> I was actually one that was disappointed that you went to Auto Chest, and CCNC and others took your audience. Oh, yeah, I mean, I didn't even mention, like, CCNC and Gunner. Like, there's, like, five or six big NA streamers. When I say big, I mean, like, at least a 1,000 viewers or more when they stream um, that weren't there uh, consistently uh, two years ago. And that's another big thing is, quite frankly, when I went into auto chess, you know, it doesn't really matter what game it was. Wait, I had so known f- b- before you uh, explain yeah, that, was ahead. it because of like, like, so I, I'm sure you've mentioned it before, but like, what was the impetus for you switching games, if you will, or taking a break or. Oh, that's exactly what I was going to. Oh, okay. Yeah. That, yeah. No, yeah, good, good question. Cause that's exactly what I was going to um, carry on with, because to be clear, it really had nothing to do with just auto chess. Um, you know, I'm a career man in the sense that like, I'm not stupid or I don't want to say people who do this are stupid, but I wasn't in a spot back then where I could afford to just go play a game. Cause I wanted to, um, I had to be able to justify financially. You know, mm-hmm. I wasn't just going to get crippled by playing a game and like maybe in the long term, I did lose like subscribers, um, or like loyal viewers, um, which to those out there, you know, in the nicest way possible, if you have a streamer, like I'm talking about somebody other than myself, that is like taking a break from the game that you love them playing and you wish they would just play that game, don't freaking complain to them about it. Like, like for the love of God, like, you know, I did it for a very good reason back when I did it. Um, I was just very burnt out with Dota. I knew I was. Um I had basically just had my last like run as a player um, where last se- that season of Dota that started before Auto Chess, um, I had created Team Team over the course of like the month or two before TI. Um, and last minute we added like Ryoya. And then three days after we completed the roster and um, tried some scrims, I just got kicked. Um and then obviously I had the whole team runes run and then we went uh, to the minor and got last place and everything. And there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. Like I don't think team runes was an absolutely atrocious team. I think it could have come together and gotten like even top four at that minor. Um, but a lot of stuff can go wrong in these, in these types of situations. And I've been dealing that with that for like three or four years. And at that point I was just so, I don't want to say demoralized, but I was it was so mentally the the mental part was the problem not anything else well and that was like the culmination of a solid three to four years of attempting oh absolutely so oh absolutely it wasn't just like a one-time thing where you know oh it sucked life got hard i gave up no it's like that was really my chance i thought not like i don't want to say team runes was my chance but like this was the year that like i came off of vgj you know i got my experience I felt like I'd come a long way as a player starting off a new season, kind of took my time to put my team together with players I had been wanting to play with. And then it just all fell apart. And that, that to me 
just destroyed me. Like it really did. And I, I knew that like, um, I knew at some point I had to take time off of Dota. And so the reason why it became Dota auto chess for me was just because it was honestly a game. I really liked playing first and foremost. I was very surprised how much I liked playing it. Um, but second off, it was also like a quote unquote Dota based game. So I didn't just drop to, you know, 200 viewers. Um, I was pleasantly surprised. I was taking just a few days off last week uh, in Hearthstone's version of Auto Chess. Um, and I had like 300 viewers for it. I was, I was pretty shocked because in the past I was only getting like, I've, what I've noticed though is that my overall viewership count in Dota has kind of dropped um, based on people like Mason and stuff that we talked about. But it's also that the number of viewers I get doing whatever like a podcast or just talking or whatever is going up. So that what that generally tells me is that my loyal viewers are growing, you know, like over time I've had people that really just like me for me, but the, as a Dota streamer, people are kind of like just looking for something new. Um, But in the auto chess days, it's like, I think the saddest thing for me back then is how many people, it, it's not like I'm mad at them. I don't blame them. But how many people have said to me like how disappointed they were that I took time off of Dota to play auto chess? Like they were just disappointed, you know. And Dota I was players like, are fanatic like that. Like that's happened crazy. to Sing Sing. That still happens to Sing Sing. That happens to Bulldog. Any Dota player who even like ventures into the world of variety, unless if they have kind of established themselves as like a semi variety streamer. But if you were dota 100 percent, then people are like militant that you need to stay that way and the second you start dabbling in something else i don't know what it is maybe they're afraid that they're gonna like lose the viewer or lose the streamer like to a different game or it's not even like we're going to like league of legends or something like that it's it's a completely different game dota auto chess was like a very similar game it's not even like you were streaming like dark souls or something like that and still people yeah. get so angry about it it's it's crazy man and like uh the one, the one thing that, you know, I'll never tell people to envy about being a streamer is like taking something you love, like a video game. And sometimes it just turns into a job yeah. and you don't want to do it. Or you're doing something just because you know, it's for like more viewers and having to find that perfect balance of how, what do I do for viewers, but also um, prioritizing my own well-being. Um, and for me, that was needed back then. Like I just needed to prioritize my own well-being. And even if I end up losing viewers on my stream for it, um, I do think overall for my ability to, in the long term, be focused on Dota, it was necessary that I took a break in some capacity. And I, I was honestly fortunate enough that I could do it where when I was playing Auto Chess, I was almost getting more viewers than I ever got in Dota, um, you know, during like the hype that that was like the prime of when it came out, yeah. um, I could have, you know, may eventually, eventually I probably would have taken a break for something that had no viewers. Um, but I was fortunate enough to do that. Uh, but when, like when you're watching your favorite streamers, most people just don't realize how much of a toll it takes on them to constantly be ridiculed, constantly be um, just judged in general, like whether it's good or bad. Uh, it's just like, imagine living your life with like, even just being in a school classroom and, or just doing your job, whatever it may be, and having, you know, a thousand people seeing what you're seeing exactly and critiquing exactly what you're doing. To it, an it, extent, I'm, I'm kind of glad that that's why uh, Arteezy does not stream particularly frequently, because yeah. that really shines a light on it, because uh, he originally made his name in the industry as a streamer, and 
now it's like a it's like a once in a blue moon kind of thing and everyone i don't know if anyone knows that it's like a fact that he doesn't stream just because of the level of abuse that he receives but that's kind of the the narrative that everyone's pushing and if that is true then it's good that more people are aware of it like everyone justifies it like well he's getting paid you know it's donations you know he's getting like ten dollars for people to insult him that still hurts. It, it doesn't. It, it somewhat sl- uh, lessens the blow that I guess there's a silver lining to someone trash talking me. But like, even if you just like miss a CS and everyone in chat is laughing at you or something like that, that eventually wears you down quite a bit. Especially for a player like Artizi who has a lot of stuff that people can poke fun of him for, like not winning Valve events or stuff like that. There's it. It's you're so vulnerable in those kinds of states and. I, that's I'm kind of glad that he doesn't stream frequently because hopefully people are a little bit more empathetic. But I imagine that empathy doesn't last for long with other streamers. Uh, I mean, the problem is right that you almost say like uh, people say like so. BSJ, at what point will I stop dealing with game ruiners in Dota? Mm. And then they watch my games and they're like, "Wow, you're in a top." 100 game across the, the board. The trench never ends, my friend. It really never does. And as like a streamer, there's no threshold that you get to where this bullshit stops, you know? Like it, it, it never ceases where it's almost like you said where, you know, Kuroki and Team Nigma had like one or two bad results this year after getting second place at TI and all they're getting is shit <laughs> for how bad they are, you know? And it's like, you realize this team like three months ago just won you know, $5 million in second place at TI, right? Like you realize that, right? It's like, it just, it almost gets worse, you know, as, as it goes on. And that kind of thing for esports personalities, players in general, it, it's the worst part. It, it really is by far the worst part. Um, It's especially bad because these people are supposedly supposed to be your fans, you know, like they're supposed to be the people that support you. Yeah. Um, And that's it just sucks to feel that you know um the biggest thing is that you start to have it in the back of your mind that every time you miss that cs you know you you don't even have to be looking at it you, you know, know. You, feel it. you you can f- and the problem is is all uh, you know recently i decided to take some time off with streaming with no camera mm-hmm. and the biggest thing for me was i know that when i get frustrated i i really express it with my facial expressions okay and my demeanor and I knew that people like it, but I also knew that it really was taking a toll on me that every time I was getting frustrated, people could actually see me getting frustrated and were making fun of and enjoying that aspect. Like they were enjoying me getting frustrated. Um, and that's like... Wait, so then did you do the no cam because you thought that, I don't know, it was like in your head too much? Like, Yeah, I was okay. actually getting in my own head about it. That's exactly what happened. And, you know, it's funny because I was talking to my girlfriend about this and she's like, is it really that big of a deal? Like, you know, do you have to turn the camera off? Dude, it's uh, you know, it does. And it's like, it, it's weird. But it's to say, like, I know people are watching me get frustrated, which when I get frustrated makes me get more frustrated. Yeah. So like, yeah, so it's, it's not even like, like for, for a normal player, it's just like, okay, I missed the CS, my net worth is a little bit lower. But for a streamer, it's like, I missed the CS, my net worth's lower, everyone's gonna make fun of me because they can see my face now. And now they're gonna be talking in chat about it. And someone might make a clip about it. And it just escalates wildly. Yeah, sometimes as a streamer, the problem in Dota is you 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 focus you you get distracted by focusing on what your chat is doing or talking about, instead of what's going on in the game. Like, 
if I miss a CS or something, if I die in a game, all I have to think about is how that changes the game for me. You know, does that slow down my timings? Does that lose the game for me? You know, like how bad is that death? All that kind of stuff. Um, but as like a streamer, you know, you're always thinking like all these external factors that actually do hurt you. Um, if you're thinking about them during the middle of a Dota game and that's the struggle of being a streamer in a game like Dota that requires so much of our attention is that, you know, at what point do you prioritize your gameplay over the stream? And for people like Arteezy, I mean, he talks about how like his game quality just goes down so drastically when he's streaming. And that's a lot of the reason why he doesn't stream first and foremost, obviously he has a big audience, but all the people in his games know he has a big audience and they're, you know, they're getting their 10 minutes of fame or whatever. And they're, you know, doing stupid shit in his game and like dancing around mid and all that kind of stuff. Like if you've watched the debacle, that is Arteezy's games. If you watch his games off stream, it doesn't happen. Mm. You know, like, it's not like it's just an Arteezy thing. It, it, meaning like it's him as a person. No, it's like the fact that there's, 20,000 people watching suddenly see what people in the Dota scene will do. I mean, even um, if you can hear his voice chat whenever he's streaming with other people, he's like a lot more lighthearted than his own personal stream would imply him to be. It's just because he's just not under as much pressure. So then uh, as for for someone like me, who, like you said, is uh, like one foot in, one foot out of the esports industry, if you could start over uh let's say that you were not pursuing professional and you were just starting over as a streamer because i like i said i think you do streaming pretty right you you have a schedule you have like a youtube editor you do the reruns and everything uh you do you do still like coaching and replay analysis as well um i was taking time off for a little while um but uh, I've, I've recently gotten back into it so I, I realized that i wanted to like kind of grow stuff other than my twitch channel kind of right. like youtube so and, that uh, that would be my content. question is that like if you could start over knowing what you know now about twitch and streaming and making a career out of it was there anything that you would have done differently or how you would have shifted your focus maybe a little bit one way or another would you still be 100 percent dota i know it's a very vague question no it's tough like these are definitely things i've considered before uh a lot of times i usually think about in regards to like you know is it too late to have fixed something? You know, like if there's something I would have changed it, would I be able to change it now? That's right. usually the stuff I tend to think about. Um, but, you know, looking back, I think a big part of why I didn't make it as a pro in Dota, like it, it, I'm not saying it's the only reason, but something that did hurt me was the fact that I didn't um, prioritize playing over streaming. You know, I always made sure my goal going in as a competitive player was that, I, if I didn't make it as a competitive player, I would have a stream to fall back on. So it resulted in me wanting consistency over going for the gold kind of with uh, competitive Dota. So the and, order was stream, like even whenever you were still in college, you came into esports as a streamer primarily. And then player was kind of maybe like 49, 51% kind of thing. Yeah, my dream or like goal was that regardless of any crazy bad thing happening, I would have a career, meaning I was more concerned about consistency in terms of income than anything else. I felt like one of the biggest things people were missing in general was the consistency of income. And for me, that was, um, I I don't necessarily regret that, but I, 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 part of me wishes I'd given it less attention um, and more so just done my thing and let it play out. I've realized in the past and like the way things have played out 
uh, people have eventually just ended up liking me for things that I'm good at. Meaning like I can't act like something and people will believe it. You know, people don't fall for fake shit for the most part. Like, especially as, as streamers, like even if it is fake, um, it, 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 eventually they, they learn that yeah. you're faking, you know, it doesn't last. Uh, maybe it'll work initially. Um, but the biggest thing for me uh, was that maybe I could have prioritized just doing my own thing more rather than making sure um, that the income was coming in because now I see like all the things I've been naturally good at and I thought were kind of my calling as a streamer. I've kind of just worked out. Those were the ones that worked, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't anything else, you know, naturally I've been told I'm good at like explaining my thought process and the overall replay analysis and stuff. And it's like, people love that, you know, that's what they want me to do. Cause that's what I'm best at there. You know, some people think I'm funny. Uh, you know, sometimes I make a joke here and there, but for the most part, people don't w tune into my stream thing and BSJ. God, he's so funny. You know, like that's why I watch BSJ. Um, there's other streamers for that. And uh, so like when I hear about streamers that are getting viewership numbers for reasons that I'm not something like I, sometimes you just can't do anything about that. And I think like trying to do something about that, like say they're funnier than me and like trying to be funnier it, it doesn't work like i can't try to be funnier you know yeah. like that doesn't it's not a thing that streamers can do so i felt like at the beginning of my streaming i, career, I wouldn't I say really... that's something that streamers can do it's very personality dependent because like i i've seen plenty of streamers who are characters and at that point it becomes more acting but i also think it's way more draining to stream as a character than to stream as yourself because... oh somebody like dr disrespect exactly. blows my mind like, right. I can't fathom doing that on a daily basis. That sounds so exhausting to yeah. me. And I'm not saying that you can't make it being funny as a streamer. I'm saying that, like, if you're not naturally funny, you're not going to make it as a streamer. I right. feel like at the start of my... I just mean, like, not so much. It's because I wouldn't consider Dr. Disrespect to be, like, disingenuous. He's he's just an actor. It's Yeah, not he's who just he an exaggerating real a real version of himself. Right. Like that, that is, at the end of the day, what it is. And the overall point I'm making is that I feel like a lot of the time I, I prioritized um doing what my viewers i thought my viewers wanted rather than what i should do uh, okay. that's like the best version of myself that was like the biggest deal for me there were a lot of like random hiccups along the way of me trying to adjust myself to those around me um that are watching because i know they'll like it more and a lot of people nowadays say bsj you know why don't you uh talk about what you're thinking about in the middle of a dota game and I'll just be honest with you. If any streamer tells you otherwise, they're full of it. Like you can't play Dota at better than like sixty percent capacity. But while you talking did about used it. to do that, though. I did used to do that, absolutely. But like, and there's streamers that still do it. But in no way in hell are they playing yeah, at their best. Like sure. they would a hundred percent play better if they were not doing that. Um, that's just reality. Um, and that's like one of those things where I've chosen, you know, um, to prioritize that aspect of it for my own well-being mentally as well as like getting better at dota and enjoying the game of dota more like but i also have to find that balance between i kind of went overboard i think where i stopped doing replay analysis uh, i kind of hiked up the price of coaching because i was kind of tired of uh uh always doing it and i was like ah, oh, you know i should still do that stuff because like i am good at it and i don't hate it or anything um so like it, it does feel like homework compared to you know uh, playing a game of Dota, right? Like it, it, there's, I'm not saying I dislike coaching, but to say that coaching is more fun or whatever than actually just playing a game of Dota is obviously, you know, I would have to be lying to tell you that one. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, even so, in, even in talent, I feel very similar. Like studying for an event 
is not Ooh. fun. Oh, dude, the, the, the homework part of it is is surprisingly taxing. Yeah. It, it, there's a lot of I, let me tell you, you've seen it, by the way. Props to Shiver. Oh, yeah. People I, I asked for her PDF for TI. It was oh, like a hundred and something pages. Dude, people think like, you know, these hosts kind of get their job just because they've been doing it for no. a long time and shit. Like, if you saw the preparation work that these hosts do, I mean, even Rich, who's a freaking clown, has Rich crazy actually of almost prep impresses work. me the most because like he makes it look like there's it's pure chaos, but it is yeah. organized chaos. It he is absolutely is in control the entire time. He has a joke that he thinks about. He's like, when can I throw this? Yeah. And then like and then like an entire segment is is stemmed from him starting that joke initially. And then it just like everything like obviously the rest of it kind of is organic in the sense that like it's not all scripted. Um, But like his joke that led to that segment was planned out like two days in advance, you know, Um, and someone like Shiver, like her whole notebook on all the players, the games, like the stats, um, what to talk about that day, like highlights in terms of like storylines, potentially from a series. The coolest thing I learned from Shiver, um, let me tell you about the esports scene where we all talked about how there's really nothing. Um, there's no script, right? Yeah. And the coolest thing is that if you're an esports personality, I, I, and I know you can vouch for me on this, that nobody knows. You know, like it's not like some people have the secret and and we're just like we know and you don't. Everyone knows that we're all equally clueless about what needs to be like the best way to be a Dota personality or just an esports personality in general. And so everyone tends to be very helpful to each other. Like they're very, very communicative and uh, collaborative about what is needed to be successful. And uh, when I was at TI, um, especially the first one, but she even helped me out because on the second one, I was having some, I don't want to say that confidence issues, but I was like anxious behind the scenes kind of, and um, it was affecting me on screen. And she were just like straight up, gave me some like really good advice about I think the coolest thing she said to me was you know Brian or like I I I was just fumbling um on times where I knew I was confident and I really didn't understand why it was one of those situations where I'm like I don't even know why this is happening I really can't I don't understand how to fix it and her advice was that you know every time I'm struggling or whatever uh you know nervous on camera I always look at my prep work and I immediately feel confident again. And and she's like, most of the time I have prep work, I don't even use it. She's like, most of the time, like, because I've done the prep work, I just know the information. Yeah. You know, like, you kind of like when you study for a test and you have notes for the test, you end up not even needing them because you've studied and written down the notes so much that you just know that information. And she basically was just like, yeah, so if you... um if you have like stuff to, if you know that you have that fallback, you have that work that you put in every moment, like having that safety net makes it so you don't even need the safety net in the first place. Cause you are, you know what I mean? You have like the confidence that you don't even get there in the first place to need it. But if you don't have that prep work done and then you fumble, then you just freak out. Yeah. Kind of. And that was, it was crazy because she told me that. And I literally just wrote down on a note sheet what I was already going to talk about that day and like some like something I talked about normally. And I proceeded to just no longer be nervous on, on camera. And I, I was just like, wow, like I, I, I didn't even use the card. I had a card in front of me. I didn't even use it. You know, but like I'm like, I'm already I'm just writing down what I normally say. 
But it was just so crazy to me because of how helpful people like that can be where they just have this experience that nobody else has where they're just like, yeah, you like we've been in this situation before. We know the struggles that you're going through. And it's really cool to talk to other personalities and other streamers, especially because, you we know, we talk about I've already talked about some of the issues streamers face. There's no other people that truly understand it. You know, they can try um, and they can, you know, uh, hi, you know be empathetic in the best way possible but they just don't understand and that's okay that um, altruistic but, nature is what encourages me the most about pursuing esports full-time because i always painted a picture of entertainment industries being very doggy dog and everyone's very competitive and especially for something like esports where the industry is so young and the pool of talent is so small that Really, it's not in anyone's best interest to helping each other. You know, like, in theory, you are competition, not necessarily to Shiver, but to other casters that she may know better or have, has worked with more frequently. But that doesn't seem to be the case. Everyone is very helpful. Everyone just wants the show to be better. And everyone wants to raise the bar for what the standard of broadcasting is. And I experienced very similar things. Uh, whenever I first started doing events, like, other analysts other people who i would be paneling with they wouldn't like throw me under the bus everyone's like no you know if you want to like ask a question you should ask it to me like this or we can script something advanced so you look really smart or something like that and that is one of the biggest reasons why i feel very encouraged pursuing this because in jobs that i have like a lab job you don't really need to interact with your coworkers that much their success does not affect your success. Uh, I guess like at the end of the day, the company might do a little bit better, but we're not really competing one-on-one -on -one because we all have the job already. Whereas in esports, every single tournament is a standalone event. And however well you do at one tournament determines possibly how well you'll do at the next one. But that doesn't seem to change how people view each individual event. It's like They just want the best broadcast possible. They want Every, everyone wants to be friends. I've found very, very few people in esports. I think uh, because I'm coming into it so late, most of the bad people have gotten weeded out, which is what other talent have told me. But yeah, I was, gonna, I was about to tell you, I'm like, I'm pretty sure there's been bad eggs along the way. Yeah. They, they're just not there anymore for a good reason. Yeah, we've been able to eliminate it. And that's why I, I'm very uh, glad that I'm coming in now because I would be naive enough to go along with anyone. But so far, everyone's been very nice to me, and uh, I guess we can we can somewhat bleed this into the topic that I'm sure most people were hoping that this podcast would do, as it's what you usually do with Breaky about a tournament recap. Because I want to hear what your experience was like at WePlay. You had done the Bukovel Minor, which was, I guess, their first DPC event. They had done many Dota events before that, but it was their first DPC event, and they came in like guns blazing, and they proceeded to keep that momentum into their mad moon event which just ended and i just wanted to know what like your experience was as them as a to because to's also i feel like uh things would be a little bit more cutthroat but it seems that they also just like they they did hire the talent for a specific reason and they want to enable the talent as much as possible and i know most of the other talent who I talked to were like, uh, we, we play gave us like so much creative control and stuff like that. So I was curious if that was accurate oh, yeah. or not. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so first off, I didn't get to watch too much of this, of the last tournament. Um, mm -hmm. I did see the results and I saw a few of the games. It's just had like a super awkward time zone for me. Obviously, when I was at the Bukeville Minor, I'm there. So yeah. uh, uh, both events taking place like, you know, in the Eastern European range. Um, 
but as a as a production they're they're exactly what they come off to be you know they're very chill uh they basically were just like yeah like we have it this way this is how we planned to do it do you guys have an idea of a way to do it better you know like uh you know they they basically said you guys are the experts uh we want us to have done our job you know meaning like their production they have to organize things but if you if you guys see something wrong with with the game plan we have put into play then please tell us and you know we'll and that is I thought that not was, common to hear it is not no it you was put, pretty cool I, I feel like many tos uh kind of have that understanding maybe but no talent is ever going to be like excuse me i think that this is how it should be done because you're never given that opening but if yeah, someone usually you just give up like you try yeah. it once and it doesn't work and you're like yeah like, <laughs> clearly they're not, they're not listening kind of thing so these guys actually gave you that opportunity that's crazy yeah it was it was a cool part of the event for sure and i could tell that they did a very similar thing with with this last event and what i was really happy about watching this event um obviously the finals looked really hype i wa- i like you know i watched a couple of the replays um obviously very draft heavy on the finals in terms of the results but um overall i just think that that event is a really good sign for the dota scene where i think eventually it's not enough in the long run to have the only thing that entertains people is just how good the players are in dota like how good the quality of the game is there's only so many tier 1 teams and players that I think it has to be possible to have success at an event with very little, if any, tier one teams. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, at the minor they had Nigma, and you know at this we play they or at the uh, Madness tournament they did have Nigma again as well as Secret. Yeah. But the fact is, like I think it's good to have one or two very noteworthy teams, but then have the rest of them be teams that aren't normally at events and. Um, that to me is really important. And a lot of the emphasis was on how good their production was. I think there's so many things that these tournament organizers could potentially do better. Um, and I think a decent amount of their stuff was like kind of high budget. Um, like obviously oh, yeah. the stage and everything, but like even just like, dude, the dance scenes with like drow between the games and like, <laughs> like the random, you know, the, the, we will rock you thing. Yeah. I don't know if anyone saw that. The there was Lancer. like a clear, yeah. Phantom Lancer. And then like, it's like singing, we will rock you. And then like, every time it gets to the rock you part, it just like stops. And it's tiny saying yeah. rock you, you know, like shit like that is so funny, man. You know, like I think it, like 90% of people who, who play and watch Dota love that shit. You know, like that, that's so funny. Uh, to watch your favorite heroes and characters just be put into random situations with like pop culture references. And <laughs> that's just the vibe that they have. You get this very professional vibe, but like a very, you know, we're here to appeal to our audience. And I think the biggest detachment that most tournament organizers, as well as like companies that are trying to advertise in esports, it's uh, when I, the biggest problem is their detachment from their audience. Like they just don't, understand their audience and i think we played it a great job of attempting to understand their audience and if the casters said no nah, you're doing this wrong like it'd be better this way then they were open to critique on that and i think that that was a really cool aspect of of those tournaments that was very unique to me um i think esl has actually done a really good job in the recent past they are a bit more formulaic as as a company like they do have their own set in stone. Like we've, we have the experience. We're going to do it this way. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to like casting pairs and like stuff that people want to do, um, even there, they've become more open to suggestions and, 
I think that's really cool. I think events are kind of fluid in terms of, you know, just adjusting on the fly. There's like sometimes the thing you planned eight hours ahead of time or even like two days ahead of time just isn't going to work out the way you wanted it to. And um, a lot can change very quickly in the esports scene in general, even within one event. And I think that as an organization, as a player, as a caster, as a streamer, that is really important to recognize the existence of that. And it's funny because I was looking at chat, by the way. Go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say that uh, I was looking at chat before any of this conversation. um, And they were just like, some of them were just saying, you know, I wish BSJ would be funnier or like, you know, BSJ has his moments and stuff like that. And like, I just be me, you know? And I think the cool thing about these events is that all the casters are just being them, you know, like none of them, like, yeah, sometimes our streamers and casters will be a little bit more overboard on camera, but it's like an example being rich, but rich is just as much a goon in real life as he is on, you know, on, on the stream. Kyle is just as much of a, you know, linguistic, linguistic degenerate as he is on, uh, on stream in fact, know, that the, is one, the one that surprised me the most is slacks is actually toned down on camera compared to what he <laughs> actually is you'd think that it would be him being a character that's like caricatured or something like that no it's the other way around slacks is crazier off camera than he is on uh you know i think it's important as i've said to be very fully aware of your own situation as as a personality in in esports you know, for me, I realized for my own good, I had to I had to tone down who I was being on camera. And for Slacks, he really understood that. You know, he's like, you know, I I think people would appreciate my personality, but maybe like forty you know? percent, <laughs> like not all of it. Uh, to be to be clear, for people who don't know, Slacks had like a master's degree or PhD or something in psychology. So it's like, he, I don't think it was a master's. I'm pretty sure it was an undergrad degree. No, he had further schooling. Really? I know that. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm like 90% sure. You know, if I'm wrong, Slacks, you know, you can tell us the lore later. But needless to say, I know from listening to his stories that he worked with people who were like clinically insane. And that has to do something to you. <laughs> you know, like that has to affect you. You know, you surround yourself with crazy people. You're going to become slightly crazy or very crazy. <laughs> Just through <today>. osmosis. <laughs> it is true, though, you know, in the sense of like you don't have stability. You're, you're, you know, you're going to eventually be unstable. Um, it's just like we are defined by our life experiences. And I love, you know, I make a comment like that about slacks, but there's so much about me that's different because of the way I've been a streamer and the people I've interacted with along the way. And that's the part about esports in general that that really is just cool. Um, and like going to these events, even you grow every single time. You know, you learn something new. Uh, you you see something you never experienced before. Uh, you go through a struggle that you never even thought you could. Like you didn't even consider it being possible to be a struggle. Um, at TI nine, that happened to me, uh, and I already talked about that briefly. It's it's just it's just never ending. And I, and I love that aspect where I think it helps me grow a lot as a human being. Uh, and it's funny to think that all of those life lessons can be learned playing a video game. You know, that, that to me is such a trippy concept overall. And 
uh, that was part of why I wanted to, you know, do this podcast with you today is just because I think it goes unmentioned a lot. You know, I'm sure other podcasts occasionally talk about it. Uh, but this whole aspect of just how eventually this career defines you and eventually, uh, even if it's just a part of your life, like it is for you, where you have a whole separate thing going on outside, like how often I think is a good question for you. How often do you talk about esports to like any of your regular job day people that you interact with? It initially started out very infrequently because I yes. was trying to keep it on the DL because even whenever I first started going to events, I think my first big LAN was uh, like January 2018. It was uh, like a, a LAN in Manila. The Galaxy Battles had lost DPC status. That was my first official LAN. And the way I got out of it at work, because I didn't know if it was going to be like a thing. So I was just like, oh, I had a death in the family. I got to go across the world for a week. I'll see you later. And, you know, I got away with it. And eventually the absences started becoming more and more frequent. And I was willing to share more about my esports life with people who really don't know too much. I work with much older people like mid 40s to 60s and stuff like that and so even just like explaining the concept of esports in general forget about dota but i was just like so people play video games and a lot of people watch and a lot of money is awarded to these people and i talk about that stuff and so initially they were all very confused they're like oh how did you do at the tournament and i was like i i didn't i didn't play i'm not good enough to play but i did talk about it though and now it's come to the point that like most of my coworkers are actually very excited about it because I guess it's uh, for for one thing it's very unique. Uh, this is a career choice that I mean it it hasn't been around for that many years, so there's not a big history of people doing it, and just the concept of people like it, it has good parallels to just like Hollywood or something like that or television in general where those kinds of jobs have celebrities and that kind of fame. And so they're like, Oh man, you know, like, it, like people have jokingly called me tsunami at work now. And that <laughs> is something I would have never imagined happening two years ago because I would have been like, Oh my God, these guys know my internet life. I'm so mortified of the reality. But now people are like, Oh, so what country are you going to next? Uh, they, they still don't yeah. fully understand Dota, but they understand what I do and they find it very exciting and I, I'm, I'm more than happy to explain it. I like talking about it, and it's, it's cool that it's becoming more and more accepted. Yeah, I used to be kind of ashamed of my job. Oh yeah, in a sense that like you know you just don't really tell anybody unless you really know them well, because you have to tell them. And I, even funnier interaction I had the other day, very recently, was uh, I was just talking to a friend, and a woman stepped in, and she's like, uh, you know, she was a friend of my friend, and she goes, "Are you one of those?" You know, referring to somebody who like plays video games and are you ninja? He goes to like an event. You say I was talking about like getting back from Ukraine and stuff, and she's like, "Oh, you're one of those." So like nowadays, people are very aware of of you know what we do at least existing. And yeah, I mean, I, I jokingly have friends that never knew me before, or that never knew me to before Dota, and never knew me from Dota that call me BSJ. You know, I have yeah. people who just know my name, my online screen name is BSJ, and uh they like to mess around with me with that one and it does bleed into your real life in that way and uh that that was part of my major emphasis you know i, I know we're going to be winding down here soon 
but that being an esports person eventually it it really is this process that is just a growing experience that i've come to really love and for anyone that's trying to get into something like this whether it be esports or some other form of entertainment slash like unpredictable you know uh, type of career it's a it's something that you kind of just have to go with the flow and eventually it either works out or it doesn't. And uh, like, uh, that's what I just love about it. But at the same time, it's grueling. And to, I, I just want to bring attention to the, some of the stuff that people go through on a daily basis as streamers, as personality, as casters, you know, it, it's, it, it requires you to constantly be on top of your game. I think something my dad always made a good point of, that he was nervous about me being in esports in the first place was he said, you know, Brian, if you want to make money as an accountant or like a doctor or a lawyer, you just have to be like one of the top 10% in your class as like a Dota player or like any other, you know, performer, you have to be like the best yeah. at whatever you do, you know, for me, whether that's broadcasting or streaming or whatever, that, you know, you have to be the top, 0.5 percent or whatever of people trying to do the job and you're trying to do. you really have to love it because oh think, absolutely uh like in other careers you can kind of belligerently make your way through like you can you, you i don't think anyone enjoys med school particularly but they will fight through it because that's just you know what you have to do to become a doctor whereas a lot of people i think try to break into esports or streaming or other entertainment industries because they want the fame and they want yeah. the the income that comes with it and stuff like that but you will not make it if that's your only incentive you like if you won't I, work hard enough yeah you, you you just like you had said earlier you have to be genuine you can't fake it and if i i i didn't really have any expectations of reaching this level uh in esports like i had no i, I was giving myself like a 30 percent chance of getting invited to ti9 and if I didn't get invited to TI, then I would have also been okay with it. I would have kept casting because I enjoy casting and I enjoy being a talent. And anything that comes with it is probably a product of the fact that I am being genuine with it. So anyone who is trying to pursue it, don't do it just because you think you can reach a high level. Reaching the high level is the bonus. You're doing it because you actually like doing it and you enjoy whatever small community that you may have that is formed from it. I mean, I've been a tryhard gamer my entire life. Like, you can ask um, my friends back in high school when we played Call of Duty, you know. I, I had friends that we played Xbox together all the time. And Were you a marathon pro guy. commando kind of guy? I, I was the guy that, you know, we're in ground war, and they all want to, like, run around with RPGs and shoot them at the ground and stuff. And I'm the guy that's like, I want to get 25 kills and <laughs> the frick out of this game, you know? And, like, that, that's me, like, every single game. And I can't help it. Like, I don't enjoy, like, if if we're losing every single game because my teammate is my one of my friends, he made it his mission to get multi claymore kills. There was like a quest to get like quad or like du the duo cues, duo kills with uh, a claymore, okay. you know, like a single claymore kills two people. Um, so he ran around in ground war, planting claymores in the middle of people, hoping it would kill multiple people. And he'd be like two kills, 40 deaths every single game. I didn't care if we were winning or losing as long as I was owning. You know? like, <laughs> I didn't care. You know? My name's like, at the top of the scoreboard. That's all that matters. Yeah, you see 25 kills, two deaths on me. I, I don't care what else is going on in the game. And 
Like that, that I, I could not enjoy it. Like people say, you know, BSJ, play some overthrow, you know, play here. You don't play very play well, five position BSJ. Yeah, Your KDA play, won't yeah. be that bad, right? Yeah, they're, they're just like, you know, have fun playing Dota. I'm like, dude, if I'm not winning, if I'm not tryharding, <laughs> I actually don't enjoy it. Like I just don't. Um, and that's something where, you know, if whatever you're trying to do isn't exactly who you are and what you naturally want to be, it's just not going to work. You're not going to, like we talked about, you're not going to work hard enough. Uh, you know, you're not going to, you're going to get to the tough times and just kind of quit. Uh, there's stuff that I've tried that just wasn't me and it got tough. And I was like, God, I just don't want to do this anymore. Uh, like that just sucks. Um, so uh, that's the big thing for me, uh, going into esports. It's just very, very pure. It's a very pure industry where for the most part, the people that make it are the ones that, are the ones that just really loved it in general. Like they, before they even, they, 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 before they even dreamed of doing it as a career, they just love talking about games, tryharding in games, having fun in games, you know, whatever their personal appeal is. Um, and going, going into this podcast, I just thought it was a cool, cool thing to talk about. So I'm glad uh, you were here to talk to me about it. Yeah, I hope I, I hope I didn't it. dominate it by asking you too many questions. Nah, nah, nah. All good, man. We, I feel like when we naturally talked in person, we kind of bounced off that each other true. pretty well. I'm, I'm more so of a listener why. anyway. Yeah, you know, I, it works out well then because I've definitely made somewhat of a career on talking way too much. You know? <laughs> uh, the one joke, you know, I've probably said it on my stream 10 to 15 times but my mom always made a joke um i couldn't talk until i was four and a half years old by the way i don't know if, how many people know that but i couldn't talk okay i couldn't construct a word like the only word i knew was ish that was the only word i could say mm -hmm. and my mom says you know brian we were really concerned about you back then you know you couldn't talk until you're four and a half years old but at least you've spent the rest of your life making up for all that time that you could not talk you know <laughs> so that's that's the joke she always says to me so that's uh that's me in a nutshell for you all right, then. Uh, I guess for the sake of formality, I'll do a, a quick recap of the We Play Mad Moon event. Enigma uh, ended up... Well, wait, you guys don't care about spoilers on this podcast, right? I'm assuming that... Yeah, you, you just alert them, you know. You okay. tell them if you haven't watched the Mad Moon event, I highly recommend it. Uh, it was a very well-run event. The games were hype, uh, despite there only technically being like two tier one teams, quote-unquote between Nygma and Secret, but they made it to the Grand Finals, and the Grand Finals was a very exciting, a reverse sweep. Nygma coming back three games after being down two versus Secret, and they had lost a previous game versus Secret to get knocked down to the lower bracket, which was also a very hype series with like some mid-Elder Titan shenanigans and stuff like that. Uh, I, I Like you said, you didn't watch much of the games. Uh, did you, I don't least... even have to know there was a meeple on the other team. Yeah, for that exactly. One, right? Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, I hear, I hear Elder Titan mid, I'm like, yeah, you only do that when there's meepo. Can you guess sure. which team won, though? Was it the Elder Titan team or the meepo team? The meepo team. Correct. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a valiant it effort. It, the way yeah. you worded it, I'm like, I assume the Elder Titan ended up losing. Yeah, it was a valiant effort by Weeha, but he just did not... The the, the Draft was already in shambles. It was a cool recovery idea to send the ET mid, but wasn't going to work out. And so that happened. Uh, reverse sweep, very encouraging for Team Nigma. This is their first land victory as... Well, no, they, they won the minor also. So I, biggest prize pool, I suppose, for the team. And especially after what must have been a very discouraging qualifier run, which I'm sure you've already covered in an earlier yes. episode, uh, not making it to any of the upcoming minor major events, the minor in Kiev, the major in LA. But they were able to prove that they are still 
one of the best teams in the world by taking down what is probably the best team in the world in Team Secret. I think they just won a major, you know, they're okay. Yeah. I uh, I mean, like, it's Team Puppy. What, I mean, what does he know? I just think it's proof that, uh, you know, a lot of people are talking about uh, the bias with the casters going into the final series. And it's like, it's really hard to believe that a team like, Team Seeker will lose that tournament. Like they're not just going to yeah. outright win it. Oh, which I am but curious. Even though you did not watch it, did you see Kyle's mini rant about I Enigma? Did see it. You did I did not see it. it. Yes. Oh, you did see I, it. No, I did see. I did. Oh, okay, see okay. It. So uh, yeah. for for those of you who may not have seen it, basically there was one game against aggressive mode. I believe it was. And Nigma were kind of, I mean, clowning around is definitely like, I'm not, I'm not being, I'm not sugarcoating it. They were clowning around. They were playing heroes on roles that they don't usually do. And uh, Kyle did not take that too kindly. He was saying that for a team that has not qualified to any DPC events, they do not have the clout to make those kinds of plays. And I was curious what you thought of that, Brian. I mean... God, man, that like part of me is just like, God, if you can't have some fun in some events, like That's what do you what mean I'm they saying. don't have a cloud? Like <laughs> you also just got second place TI. At what point is it good for your results in the long run that you're having quote unquote some fun at an yeah. event like this, you know? And I also think events like this are meant to be not just purely about the competitive nature of Dota. Yes, people are trying. Yes, you're meant to get like good quality games overall, but at what point do events like this care more about the entertainment factor than they do about, about just the Dota itself. And like, it's not like they're just doing it for the crowd. Like what if they really wanted to try that or they wanted to have some fun doing that? You know? I think it was like, the fun thing. This very interesting saying, like for them, Captain it's... camera. And I saw Kuro smiling more than I've ever seen Kuro smile in his entire life. Dude, sometimes you just got to sit back and take a breath of fresh air, dude. That's like, you, you just have to. And I, I I, personally am surprised Kyle would bash that kind of thing because I think he's pretty good at overall just, you know, sit back and enjoying life. Yeah. Um, that And one of the things he hated as a Dota player was feel, felt like he couldn't do that um, nearly as much as he can as a caster nowadays. So I'm kind of surprised that he's bashing it in the way that he did. He is a very fierce competitor also, though. He is. And no matter what, you can't take that out of somebody for sure. I'm just like that as well. And he also is like talking about numerous times every time he watches these tournaments and he sees like teams mess up a lot behind like a, you know, like a half-ass captain or whatever. They're not like fully on the same page. He's like talking about how he wishes he could be captaining it or whatever, you know, um, but yeah, no, I overall, you know, I, I don't mind it for like the entertainment value, though. I think yeah, at the end of the as day, a viewer almost- and for the team itself, I think OG has proven that team morale can trump any level of skill. Just as long as you are enjoying your company with your teammates, then that can oftentimes get you further than raw mechanical skill can. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I I don't know how you usually close these podcasts. Oh, usually we say, you know, and he, he says something along the lines of, hey, you know, you have anything else to say today, BSJ? And then I say something like, no, nah, I've talked way too much today. <laughs> and then... Oh, good. Says, so then that okay, means well, that we, we replicated that sort of thing very well for this one. Yeah, then. yeah, we did. We did. And then he says something like, oh, I appreciate you guys tuning in for this week's podcast. You know, we'll be back next week. Uh, you, I guess you won't be. So you can say uh, you enjoyed being here, hopefully. And then you can say something like, uh, <laughs> you know, you'll be handing it back off to Breaky next week kind of thing. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, I can do that. Uh, yeah, it was an <laughs> absolute pleasure being here. I'm not just saying that. I did enjoy it. I like like you had said initially. You and I have had unique life experiences, and I think that it's cool that we were able to share it with any people who were curious. I'm sorry if you were hoping for hard hitting analytics on the Mad Moon event. I'm sure you can find that at some other podcast. But for this week, want to try something a little bit different. Uh, I was happy to stand in for Breaky. And uh, yeah, if you if you do have anything that you want to add, BSJ, don't. Nah, I've said enough. All right, he said We're enough. Right on schedule. Uh, you can follow me at tsunami six four three. It's on the video underneath me. But if you're just listening, then at tsunami six four three, BSJ at banana slam jamma. Uh, I'd like to thank Prediction as well, Prediction Esports, very much for having me on, and I hope you guys all enjoyed the show. And Breaky will be back next week. See you guys later.